children leading us in worship. Is that fantastic or what? It's good. Well, welcome to the first season of Advent, the first Sunday of Advent. It's a special time. Advent in the history of the church is a time when the church kind of pauses and we reflect and we think about what's coming. Anticipation, isn't that a great word? Anticipation is the, uh, the word that describes Advent. Advent has to do with the appearing of our Lord, Jesus. That's what it means. And so the first Sunday is really characterized by anticipation. You think about the children up here. You remember those of you that had children, and you all were children at one time. Remember the excitement of what's coming on Christmas Eve for most of you? And do we open presents? What's going to happen Christmas morning? And that, just that excitement as the Christmas trees go up and the decorations go up and the lights go up and uh, you start baking things and all the things that happen in many of our homes. Anticipation. That's what Advent is all about. You heard the story from Matthew read today. It's a fantastic story. Um, it's a story that we, we learn a lot by paying attention to not only what is present in the story, but what is missing? Matthew deliberately, I believe, left out some very significant details, and I'll tell you why toward the end. But first, did you notice that we have a nativity set? And what's missing from the nativity set? There's no wise men. There's no kings. How could you have a nativity set without wise men and kings? Why aren't they there? Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. That's part of the story. The story in Matthew has two sections to it. Both of them are very important. One of them involves Joseph. Now, I don't know what it would have been like to not have known Jesus. Um, he hadn't come yet. But I can tell you this. In the nation of Israel, they were longing for him to come. Because all the way back in Genesis 3, what did God promise to Eve? You'll have a son, and your son will destroy this enemy, this monster that led to this whole mess we call the fall. That began a quest for the son that uh, permeated Israel all the way along. Everyone was looking for the son. By the way, that's one reason why um, um, everyone is looking to have sons in their marriage, not because they were better than women within the Jewish culture, and other cultures, yes. But they all knew that one of those sons was going to be the Messiah. Now, as the Old Testament unfolds, they didn't really understand what that meant. They were kind of confused about that. Because is the Messiah going to rule with an iron fist? Is he going to, uh, uh, is he going to die like Isaiah talks about, the uh, suffering servant? And so they couldn't quite make sense of all that, so they had theories. Maybe there were multiple um, messiahs. The Old Testament talked about the Messiah when he comes being a king and a priest, but the law didn't allow you to be a king and a priest from the same tribe. So there must be at least two messiahs. So they were pretty confused. They didn't really understand the concept that we see presented in the Gospels. They were waiting. They were anticipating. What they did believe was that God was going to come rescue them. That's what they believed. And really, that's what the word salvation means, is rescue. We think of it as eternal life. It's so much bigger than that. It's God stepping into our world and, and 
fixing what is broken, making beautiful what has become ugly, repairing that which has been fractured. And so Joseph, poor Joseph, he didn't know he was the one. And it's amazing how God works, how God communicates. He didn't tell Joseph ahead of time. He waited until he found out Mary was pregnant. Pause for a moment with me and just think about Joseph's life. Think about what it was like. Mary, how could you do this to me? If God had not intervened, she would have been shamed. But he waits until Joseph acts. And Joseph could have done several things to shame her in that culture. And he decided privately to divorce her. To protect her. If you were God, who would you choose to be the man who's going to raise your son? Not sure I can think of anybody qualified. I know I'm not. You could ask my children. They'll tell you the truth. But he chose Joseph, a righteous man. So right at the very beginning, Joseph decides to do the right thing. He's going to protect Mary by divorcing her, divorcing her privately. And um, what does the angel tell him? Your wife is pregnant, as if he didn't know that. And she's going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Jesus. You know what that means? Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the name of God given in the Old Testament, Exodus 3. That's his personal name. Every other thing we hear about God is a title. Master, Lord, well, those are all titles. Almighty, his name is a personal name, and Jesus means Yahweh saves. He's given the name of his Father. But then he goes on and quotes Isaiah, Isaiah 7. He will be called Emmanuel. And what does that mean? God with us. God has visited his people. God has visited his creation. That's what that means. Jesus is God with us. This is anticipating Joseph now recognizes his wife is going to give birth to God's son. It's imminent. It's right here. It's happening. God is breaking into our world. Everything the Old Testament prophesied, promised, all the images that are drawn, all the language, all the theology that's developed, all points to this, this moment right here. Right here. God with us. Philippians 2 says that Jesus has given the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that he is Lord. This is, this is it. This is the moment. This is the moment we've been waiting for. This is what Advent is all about. And the church created this season to give us, to give the church space to think and reflect on what this means. So we move away from our normal activities um, and we spend the whole month enjoying the coming of the Lord. That's what all the decorations are all about. Which is, what you do in, which is what you do in your homes. This is what our fellowship time is all about, anticipating and looking forward to the Lord. That's the story of Joseph. 
But then he goes on and tells the story of the Magi, which is in itself amazing. It's a fantastic story because he leaves out so many details. When we get done, I hope you'll understand why he left them out. But you have to remember that the people that hear this story, they knew a lot more than we did about who these people were that came. So you heard the story read. The reason why they're not here, they're not in the nativity set, is because they weren't there. They come from the east. Babylon area, area of Babylon, the Fertile Crescent. It's at least 1,200 miles. It's a long journey on the back of a camel to get there. Probably would have taken them a year and a half or so to get there, which is why Herod had all the babies killed that were two years old, the young boys and under. Matthew uh, chapter 2, verse 11 says that they finally found him at his house, whereas in Luke, he's in a manger. Well, he's already a little older now. He's moved out. So they weren't there. They're somewhere else. If we had uh, magi or kings, they would be on this side of the stage or maybe on the other side of the street, or maybe in another state. It would be more accurate. The Magi weren't there. So who were these Magi? He just says they came into town. Well, I'm going to give you a short history lesson. So I hope you can follow along. Short history lesson. Here's what we do know from history, from historians, and what's said in Matthew. They are believed to be members of an eastern priestly group originating from the land of Babylon to the east. They were very skilled in astronomy and astrology. They were, now get this, they were Gentile pagans. They were Gentile pagans. That's significant in just a moment. They were very important people. They were prominent in all four of the ancient world empires, Babylonian, Mede-Persian, Hellenistic, and the Roman empires. We find them on all four. They always appear with tremendous political power. They're very influential. They, they are consistently consulted when kings and priests wanted to know something. That's why they're called wise men. We don't really know if there were three. That's church tradition based on the three gifts. There could have been more. We don't know how many there were, but we know that they came. Very powerful people. Persian kings could only become kings if they mastered the scientific and religious disciplines of the Magi. You couldn't be a king unless you had passed their rigorous course. In addition, Persian kings had to be approved and crowned by the Magi. So they couldn't become kings in the Medo-Persian Empire unless the Magi showed up to make them kings. These are very powerful people, these men. We have uh, in our tradition kind of this, these older men that are kind of walking up. And, uh, but we have stories of Magi that had their own, they had their own militaries, their own armies. They had armies upwards of 1,000 men. They come stomping into Jerusalem and they go right to Herod, who is the king, and they say, where is the king? Where is the true king? They, they, they showed no respect for Herod as far as we can see from the text. They just walked right in and said, they went to the guy who's the puppet king and said, where's the true king? Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him, not you. They didn't care. They, they knew that Herod couldn't touch them. And Herod was pretty agitated over that. Very anxious, the text says. These were powerful people. I have in my mind what happened in Jerusalem was these men came riding in with a bunch of their soldiers on horseback, and uh, they were just a whole group 
came in. If three, small, three guys walked into Jerusalem, why would the whole city be so in an uproar? Because they recognized somebody important just showed up. These magi, these wise men. Well, the question is, how on earth did they know? You ever think about that? We spend a lot of time talking about the star. I think we're focusing on the wrong part of the story. When Jesus is born, a star appears in the east. And they start their journey. And it takes them a long time, a year to a year and a half, maybe two years, to get from where they saw the star to where Jesus was, already in his house, a young boy. How'd they know? They're Gentile pagans. We don't know. Honestly, I'll tell you what I do know and what I believe. During the time of um, Jeremiah, Daniel was deported along with the rest of the people in the nation, and he was taken to Babylon. Remember the story of Daniel? What's Daniel known for? What's that? The lion's den, right? And what are his three buddies known for? The fiery furnace. Yeah, adults and kids like. I love it. We know our stories. Okay, Daniel was deported to Babylon, and he started uh, interpreting dreams. He's so adept at interpreting these dreams that he's given authority over Magi. Daniel 4, Daniel 5. He's called the chief of the magicians, which is the word for magi, the conjurers, the wise men, the astrologers. God moves him right to the top, and he oversees this important group of people. They were the most important people, perhaps, in the Medo-Persian Empire. So he starts out in Babylon, then he moves to the Persian Empire. You know the story. You've read Daniel. But we also know from Daniel that he was given many of the prophecies related to the coming of the king, right? And we know from Daniel's courage, because he is in the lion's den, that he wasn't afraid to stand up and tell them about the one true living God, was he? He was very courageous. He represents one in the history of Judaism that did what God intended. He stood up and told them the truth about the one true God. And he paid for it, and he thought he'd pay with his life, but he didn't. God honored himself. So I think it is very conceivable that God performed all of this to ensure that the Magi were there to worship the baby and to understand the signs of the time. So you get the picture? 700 years earlier in the east, David has been deported from the land of Israel to the Babylon, Babylonia. And he interprets dreams. God gives him the spirit, his spirit to interpret dreams. And he gets elevated to the top of this caste, this cadre of people, magicians, conjurers, wise men. And he tells them about the coming king. 700 years later, there's a birth. We know from, uh, from Joseph, what the angel told Joseph, this is the king. This is Jesus. 1,200 miles away, we have a star. And the wise men recognize the sign. And they start out on their trek. 
And they're not afraid. Not afraid of anybody. Not afraid of Herod. When they get to Jerusalem, they said, where is he? Where is this king? We came to worship him. We came to honor him. We came to crown him as the king. Do you see the picture? So if you have nativity sets at home, take your little wise men and kings and just move them across the living room. <laughs> what do we learn from this? This story. Now I gave you a bunch of information that Matthew leaves out. I think Matthew leaves it out on purpose to highlight some very important stuff. Okay? First of all, we learn that God's revelation came to the Magi in the form they understand. A star. By the way, that's what happened with Abraham. Remember, Abraham was out under the stars. We, I believe he was an astrologer as well. And one of the stars spoke, Abraham, go. And he got up and left. And if you think back on your own lives, this is consistent with God's character. Every time I sit down and listen to your stories and your journeys, I learn that God came to you in a very different way than he came to me. And he spoke in very different language than he speaks to me because he understands each of us. And so he went after the Magi and spoke in language they understood, a star. Beyond that, I have no idea what it means. And all the sermons I've heard trying to describe whether it's a local star or a star in the heavens, what the, that's just all conjecture. We simply don't know. But what I can say with confidence is that God spoke in a language they understood. Secondly, the majority of the details are left out of the picture so that we would give full emphasis on one thing. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. That overshadows everything. We have come to worship this king. Third, I just marvel at the ironies and paradoxes in God's word. They are full from beginning to end. The first people in the world to recognize Christ as king were Gentiles. We'll learn about the shepherds a little bit later. But the first people to recognize him as king were Gentiles. The people who should have known it, known this, missed it. So Herod goes to the leaders of Israel and says, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? Well, you know, in Bethlehem. Why? <laughs> they missed it. The people who should have got the message missed it. And the people who should have missed it got it. These Gentiles that live 1,200 miles away over here, they got it. John 1, 11 and 12. Jesus came into his own, and his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. These are Gentile pagans, and they knew what it meant. This is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. I will make you a blessing to whom? The nations. You're getting used to that language. And here we have the Gentiles show up. Hmm. I think this story teaches us that people truly searching for God's will or for God will find him. And people truly avoiding God will miss him. Magi, the most famous kingmakers of the ancient world, 
came and bowed down at the feet of Jesus. God wants people to know that Christ is the king. Jesus gets his royal honor from the Magi, the kingmakers of the ancient world. It reinforces and gives credibility to his right to reign. Because Matthew is arguing that Jesus is the king. And that's where we see that language. More than the other gospels. And so that's why Matthew tells us this story. An amazing story. So the people at that time would have kind of grasped who the Magi were. It wasn't been a surprise to them. That's part of their culture. So when he tells them the basics to the story, when he's born, a star appears. I think many of them would have said, well, how did they know? What's that all about? And then it says in Matthew that the fulfillment of the Magi's anticipation brought great joy when they finally got there. After all of the travel and they bowed down and worshiped, they were just filled with inexpressible joy, overflowing joy. That's why the first Sunday of Advent, we focus on joy, anticipation and joy. If we patiently wait and we remember, we will experience joy. That's what Christmas is all about. If we take this month and we do it well and we focus on the Lord, Christmas morning, we will experience the joy. The presents remind us of God's gifts, don't they? The gifts we give to others reminds us of our own ability to give. It's better to, more blessed to give than to receive. So you'll talk to family members that you sent stuff to and they'll say thank you. Your children will say thank you. And so you have this two-way thing, and joy erupts. But what, what generates the heart of this is that you're patient and you wait. Christmas wouldn't be near as much fun if somebody came up and surprises and said, oh, Christmas is in an hour. Isn't a lot of the anticipation, is, I mean, the, the value of Christmas is that we look forward to it for so long? That's why anticipation is a key word in the whole Advent season. Well, it doesn't stop there. This is a model of how we should anticipate the second Advent of the Lord. The first coming of the Lord helps us grasp his return. You heard Isaiah 2 read, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills. The gods were always put on the high mountains, high places. And our God, the one true God, has the highest mountain. And what does it say? And all the nations will stream to it. That's a picture out of Revelation 21 and 22. The nations are coming and going out of the new Jerusalem. Every nation is present. God will fulfill his promise to Abraham. Many peoples, not just the Jewish people, many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of, God, of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's what happens the next time around. And this really is the story of Christmas. This is it. All the nations coming because God has done that incredible rescue operation. He broke into our world. God is with us so that he could rescue us, so he could save us. That was his plan all along from the beginning when he chose Abraham. I will make you a blessing to all of the nations. That's us right here. Most of us are Gentiles. This is it. 
This is the story of Christmas. So when we go through Sunday after Sunday for the four Sundays of Advent, we will be focusing you on this anticipation and the different parts of the Christmas story. So every one of these Sundays is designed to help prepare you and your families for Christmas. Enjoying the coming of the Lord. The advent of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we are so, so grateful. Lord, honestly, we're as grateful as we can be. Um, which isn't grateful enough, I recognize. So I think of the person in John who says, uh, I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Father, all of us are on different parts of the journey. Help us to get as far as we can this Christmas season, this Advent season. Lord, your son said to, uh, to be watchful and pray, to look and pray. Help us to look and pray and to anticipate his birth and then his return. Paul says to be sober, to be alert. Peter says to be diligent. Father, help us as Dillon Community Church to look with anticipation and joy honoring your son Jesus and looking beyond this to his return one day when peace will reign. Father, we are grateful people. Thank you for giving us this precious gift that we celebrate at Christmas, your son. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.